Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Welcome back, dear ones, to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here. How are you? And I'm here with my dear friend, partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. Sir, it's good to see your face today. It is good to see you. I, too, am learning to walk. Sometimes feel like I'm toddling, but the Lord has me in his hand, and for sure I'm going to keep my hand in his because there's nowhere else to go for life. You got that right. Well, Frank, we're going to begin a new series today, and it's going to focus generally on our identity, who we are as believers. But this is not going to focus on who we are based on what we think. It's going to focus on who we are based on what Scripture says. And that's so important because we have, we're going to look at this, Frank, and embrace the entire counsel of God as we talk about this. And sir, you suggested this. So what was on your heart when you decided to steer us along this path? And by the way, we're going to begin with the word saint as our <laughs> premier identity characteristic. That's a great question, John. And if I could, I'd give a twofold answer. When we travel around and teach conferences and even in the counseling arena, one of our first questions is always, who are you? If we don't know who we are, then we don't know where we're going, why we're going. We have no basis really for what we're doing. And the only way we're going to know who we are is if we know our origin or source. And if we don't know that, it's kind of like I would take you and drop you off in the middle of the Rocky Mountains without a map and without a compass. You're not going to be able to determine where you are in this vast wilderness and you're going to wander aimlessly and purposelessly without purpose. How's that? <laughs> there you go. The way I spend most of my days. <laughs> so identity is very important. But the burden that was on my heart, Sean, is this. If we focus on only one aspect of our identity, we're going to miss out on the other aspects of our identity. You chose the word saint to begin with. And John, you and I are both in the, what we could call, I guess, the grace awakening, or some call it a movement. Uh, I don't like the term movement because movements tend to begin and end and the Christ life has no beginning and no ending. And that's well said. where we draw from. But the church in general prolifically taught for decades that we were sinners. And that's certainly what we were born that way. John, if you ask the average Christian, if they're a sinner, they'll say yes. And then you ask them, well, what makes you a sinner? And they'll say, well, because I sin. Well, with that answer, behavior determines identity. And so at that point, I asked those dear people to bark <laughs> just to prove that their behavior didn't determine who they are, because obviously they didn't become a dog. Birth determines identity. So we were sinners, 
but the New Testament heralds that we got born again. When we put our faith in Christ, we were crucified. That old dead sinner was buried, resurrected as a brand new creation called a saint. And so just as the church prolifically heralded we were sinners, the grace awakening, we prolifically heralded that we are saints because we had to. We had to overcome that negative barrage, and we can in fact call it unbiblical barrage, from pulpits and books that was referring to a new covenant believer as a sinner, which is simply not true. But we've got to move on because the New Testament says we are ambassadors. We are living letters. We're soldiers. We're farmers. And the list goes on and on. So we want to explore that multifaceted identity given to us by the Holy Spirit in this series. And hopefully the Spirit will use it to open the eyes of our listeners that they have a not only a multifaceted identity, but a varied role to play, big shoes to fill, that Christ will fill in them as they gain understanding. So that was kind of my desire. I wonder if you have any comments. And by the way, I'm glad you chose the word saint. That's a great starting place. Well, we're going to get to the fact of saints versus sinners. We'll get to Paul's statement about being the chief of sinners. But first... We're going to spend some time today and perhaps even the next episode looking at the word saint. Now, Frank, you know, I've said this many times, I am becoming quite the biblical language word geek. And so being the geek I am, I said, okay, saints, how many times are believers called saints in the New Testament? And Frank, I stopped counting at 60. Hmm. And so if God calls me something 60 times, then... I want to know what he means when he calls me a saint. So I started to think, how do we use saint in English? Well, we call somebody a saint if they're kind. We call somebody a saint sometimes if they're quiet. We call somebody a saint sometimes if they're just tolerant or patient or puts up with a bunch of nonsense. But, you know, the English language just doesn't really define So, of course, I went back to the original language, Biblical Greek. And the word, as you know, because you went to seminary, the word is hagios, which means holy. And right then and there, I sort of made a decision, a personal decision in my own life, Frank. I think I'm going to begin to stop using the word saints because Mm. it's so hard to really figure what that is. It's almost like it's a foggy word. Mm. But a holy one, now that communicates something entirely different different. And so I'm going to start calling people holy ones because it's a reminder of who God made us to be. I think that's pretty cool. So I began to look, got out my lexicons and digged deep as I could. And I looked for all the different ways that the word hagios was used in biblical Greek and Greek times going on at the time of the Bible was written. And these are the words I got, Frank, clean, pure, sinless, blameless, set apart for God exclusively as his, worthy of respect 
worthy of honor. Frank, when I read through this list, even now as I read through it again, honestly, it's breathtaking hmm. to see Father describe us this way. It absolutely is. Does that make you feel the same way? Oh, John, it's ironic you say that because several months ago, I myself, <laughs> independent of this conversation, started calling people holy ones instead of the word saint. We have a tendency in our American culture to use words so prolifically and redundantly that they become cliché and lose the impact of the meaning of the word. And so when you do this word study today and present the dynamics of that word hagias, it helps people to understand and worship God because of what he has done on our behalf, not only for us, but to us and especially through us as he expresses his own life in us and through us by making us, how could we coin a word, unionable, <laughs> making us right so that the right one could live in us so clearly, so fully that we would actually become the temple of God, which again is another phrase we throw out, I think today, without pondering the depths of what it means. John, I'd like to add one more thought to sure. this use of that word saint. I was raised in a particular religious persuasion. I know you were too, where our persuasion used the word saint to refer only to those people who live such exemplary lives that the church sainted them. And usually that occurred hundreds of years after they lived. And that was because, one, I think the reputation of that individual was so great that it carried for a couple of hundred years. But I facetiously wonder if it was that so no one who actually knew them uh, was still around and could point a finger at them. You know, <laughs> given your last statement, I think St. Frank... <laughs> Might be an option, maybe in a few centuries. Yeah, somebody would say, I saw him chase Janet down the street with a broom. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there, there's another stunning part that Father showed me when I was prepping for this, Frank. You know, the third person in the Godhead, what's his name? Mm, God, the Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the word holy is, you guessed it, hagios. And so it just dawned on me that God, when he calls us holy, he shares his name with us. Mm. And Frank, that just blew me away. He calls me that because he made me that. He mm. shares his holiness with me. And I just shiver when I think about it. That's an interesting thought because as I'm listening to you, this jumped in my brain. That's a familial idea. The kids in your family all bore the name Russin. The kids in my family all bore the name Friedman. And so that's another affirmation, confirmation that we are the children of God. We are in the family. We have his name. Yeah, That's huge. That's huge. 
That seals gives me shivers, chills when I think about it. Okay, word geek spasm number two, my friend. Of course, I went back and I looked, what was the first time the word holy was used in the Old Testament? Mm. And it took me to Exodus 3, which is the burning bush, holy ground. Mm. And when I read through that multiple times, the passage communicated the very same ideas, sacred, set apart, special. But then, because I'm a Y kid, I asked why, what made that so holy and special? Well, if Moses came by there the day before, guess what? It was a bunch of sand and a bush, indistinguishable from anything else. But it was made holy because the presence of God was there. That ground wasn't holy yesterday. It won't be holy next week, but it's holy now because God is present. And Frank, what dawned on me is that it's so important for us to recognize that while we are holy, that holiness isn't inherent to us. As our friend Jim Fowler is so fond of saying, ours is a derived holiness. We get it from someone else. And so that makes such an impactful thought in my brain because it helps me to keep in focus that, yes, I'm holy, but it's only because the Holy One lives inside of me. And so really, my holiness is an artifact of His being there his being in me is the most important thing. And it changes me completely. Yeah, from the inside out. And that's a very important point, John, because so much of the religious world thinks that righteousness can be attained oh, from the yeah. outside oh, I, oh, in yeah. based on your performance and what you do. And Romans 5.17 is such a great verse because it says we received righteousness. It wasn't something we achieved, but it also says we received it as a gift. And so a double whammy, receiving and a gift, it cannot be earned. As Paul very clearly stated, by the works of the law, no man can be made righteous. The only way we're made righteous is if God does so on our behalf. And John, that puts us in a place where we see and we recognize and we know how great he is, but also how loving and gracious and kind and good he is to do this on our behalf. It's huge. Yes, it is. How many times, Frank, over the years, we've had brothers come alongside of us and say, hey, man, I'm going to pray for you to really do your best to be holy today. And of course, I know what they mean. It's a, to make wise choices, to live in concert with my father, so his life is expressed through me. But bundled in that statement is, is really a pretty tragic error because it communicates there's just something we need to do to be holy. Hmm. And I think back to the burning bush again in Exodus chapter 3. What did the bush contribute to show of God's glory? Mm. Only a place for the glory to dwell. Only a place for the glory to just rest and dwell and be there and manifest itself. It didn't require the bush to do anything. The bush wasn't burned. It wasn't consumed. Basically, the only thing the bush contributed was a place for God's glory to manifest itself. 
And that's really the picture for us, because when we receive him as our Savior, he indwells us, and he wants nothing more but for us to get out of the way and let his glory manifest through us. Mm. So it's pretty sobering, because there's nothing we can do to become more holy. We don't have to pursue mm -hmm. holiness, to work at it, to try harder. We are holy. Our task is to basically walk in the Spirit and that we yeah. will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh so that the holiness inside of us, because Christ is there, uh, will come out of it. I think that's what you've been teaching me for the 35 years. <laughs> yeah, we're slowly learning it. The lecture is so much easier than the lab because we have so many temptations and opportunities to look at other than God as our source of life and that which would meet our need instead of him. So, John, it's a huge point to bring out the fact that our only real uh, call is availability and for his presence. And that would correspond, I think, very well with John 15, where we're told a branch doesn't produce fruit. Its only responsibility is to abide, which means to live or dwell, to be connected intimately to the source of life, which is the vine, which, of course, Jesus claims to be. He is the vine, and he tells us as his branches, you have one responsibility, not to produce fruit, just to bear it, just to be available to me for my life to flow through you. And my life, as Galatians 5 teaches, is a very fruitful life. Indeed. You know, Frank, you said the word lab earlier, walking out and letting the holiness that's inside of us work its way out of that. You know, I look back at my life, I look back at your life, and, you know, sometimes there were times when the things we did, the way we acted, the things we said, appeared really far from holy. Hmm. And so there's a process that's involved here, isn't there? The scripture calls it sanctification. So unpack that for us, if you will. The process that's involved in getting what's true on the inside manifested on the outside for us. But John, I think it's very important to state at the beginning, it's a very important question, by the way, but it's very important to state at the beginning that in the maturity of our walk, we're not gaining any more of Christ. We are not attaining any more righteousness, any more love, any more kindness or gentleness any of that as we mature. We received the divine nature inside of us. We received God, the Holy Spirit. And you can't get any more of God than God. So Christian maturity, and this is something I don't think a lot of people really understand, was instantaneous at the moment of faith. Now, the expression of it, that's what we grow more effective at as we learn to walk by faith and choose to not walk after the flesh. But we don't 
get any more mature. That was granted at the moment of faith. All that happens is we express that maturity, i.e. the life of Christ, more consistently. More consistent expression should not be mistakenly called maturity. We got to find a better word for that, John. Hmm. We are expressing him more fully, but not in a more mature fashion. We're walking with him more consistently. That's what real Christian growth is. It's more of a consistent walk into a life that was fully yours, able to be fully experienced and the potential to be fully expressed at the moment of your new birth. Amen. I think you're right. I like the word consistency because it's what it is. And when you look at people who we've traditionally called mature, that's what you see. You see a, a quiet, steadfast faith in their father. And you know, Frank, as I'm looking back over my own life and the lives of those folks whom I admire greatly, there's a common thread that I see that's involved in this consistency, as you call it, and that is suffering. And father parts the hedge and he allows suffering into our lives because I believe it's only through suffering that we'll reach the end of ourselves and we'll give up and we'll let the wonderful glory of God inside us out through us. It almost takes that before we begin to express his attributes, Frank, his love, mm -hmm. his joy, his peace, his patience, his long suffering, run down through the list of the fruit of the spirit, self-control, because the more we think about it, holiness describes more than just our identity, my friend. Mm -hmm. It defines how we live. It describes our walk as well. Mm -hmm. And it's curious that when the Bible uses the word sanctification, do you know what the Greek word is? I know you do. Hagiasmos. It's the yeah. same root exactly. as hagias, holy. So basically all it's saying is you're letting more of the holiness of God out more consistently. It's not a badge. It's not a rite of passage. It's not like leveling up in a video game. Is the life of Christ manifesting itself through me? Am I allowing it? Am I consenting? Or am I getting in the way? That's it. And Father uses suffering to open our eyes to just how much we need what he's already given us. Wow. Well, John, you made two very important points that I want to make sure our listeners understand. There's a big debate. Is sanctification an event or a process? And you've got all those people on the one side who say, we got sanctified at the moment of our faith. And then there are those who say, no, sanctification is a process. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 is the key verse. He has perfected forever those who are being perfected. And so right there in that verse, we see that it is both an event and a process. Now, the New American Standard did a terrible injustice to the body of Christ. They took out the word being sanctified. And so it reads, he has perfected forever those who are perfect. And they removed the process. That was an error in translation from the Greek text. And we challenge our listeners, go look it up in the Greek interlinear. So you'll see they left it out. It is an event. It's also a process. 
Now, it's an event that is finished where we learn how to walk in what is finished. We're not adding to. We already addressed that earlier. It's like being married. Marriage is an event. takes place at a moment in time. You don't have to keep getting married every day. You just now have to learn how to be married. It's the same way with sanctification. We got set apart, made holy at the moment of our new birth. And now we learn to live it and walk it more consistently. That's huge. The second thing, John, I think this is so important too. You mentioned suffering and people balk at that word. And so I think it's very important to maybe go to Philippians chapter three, where Paul said, I have one thing. That's a very big statement, John. We need to be able to go to each other and say, hey, what's your one thing? What's your one thing in life? What lights you up? What are you all about? What's the single-minded purpose of your life? And then Paul told us what his was. I want to know him. I want to know him, the power of the resurrection, which is a reference to the resurrection life that is within us. And then he added something very important, the fellowship of his sufferings. And I think we tie those all in together, John. Faith is something that's born out of need. And the fellowship of his sufferings awakens us to our need of experiencing him and the resurrection life that he brings us. And so, yes, suffering is a part of the Christian walk in terms of learning to walk consistently because faith is born out of need. And John, one of the great dangers for us as Americans is that faith is not a necessity in a very blessed culture. We don't have to depend on God for our next meal. Our cupboards are full. We don't have to depend on God to put gas in our car. We've got a piece of plastic in our wallet. And in a prosperous society, it's very easy to just skate through life, skate through a day without even a thought of God. And the fellowship of his suffering is a great tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to awaken us to our need. I was talking, John, with a theologian this week by phone, and we were talking about the goodness of God. And I'll close with this. He made this statement. The goodness of God is anything that drives you to Jesus Christ for a greater experience of him and your participation in the furtherance of his kingdom. I would refer to the prodigal. Every hog that butted him was the goodness of God calling him to go home. Every kernel of pig food that he put in his mouth was the goodness of God saying, go home, son. Go home. Well said. Well, friends, Frank and I have been talking about our identity, beginning with the fact that we are holy ones. It's been an interesting conversation. There's a lot more to say. We will get to the part about being sinners. 
Next time, Frank, I want us to pick up where we left off and spend a little more time talking about our walk, the journey of the process of hagiosmos, of sanctification, and what that looks like in our lives and what scripture has to say about that. But friends, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please go to our website, OurResoluteHope.com, and there you'll find lots of resources along these very same lines, directing you to our Lord, Savior, and life, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us, please feel free to click the donate button on the very top of that page. We will uh, joyfully receive your contributions and thank Father for them and for you. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. We send that out about once a month or so. We don't inundate you. Uh, Of course, check out all of our social media platforms. Frank manages Facebook and Instagram. We have a YouTube channel as well. And as always, we close with the very same reminder from Hebrews 6, that no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult your life, no matter how poorly you might be manifesting the holiness of God that's within you, don't give up. You have a hope. It's not a fleeting hope. It's an anchor. Hebrews calls it. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute bedrock hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you, as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.